Would you join me in a prayer? Oh Lord, the Christian church around the world declares your love and faithfulness. But we are so grateful that you demonstrated your love and faithfulness through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and that you then pour out your love and faithfulness into the hearts of your people, your body, your church. Thank you for the ways that you are doing that work in many of our lives here. And for each of us, O Lord, we pray that you will continue to deepen us, to know you more, that we might trust you more, and that we might know the depths and riches of your love, and that you would pour that out into us as we go from here into the places in the world where so many around us long but know not that love. Work among us now, even as you've been doing with great power, that we would not be left unchanged by the glory of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, welcome, a special welcome to those of you that are new to this community. It is a delight and an honor for us to have you here. My name is Tim Behrens. I'm one of the pastoral team in this church. And last Sunday, if you were here, we were considering together the ups and downs of discipleship. Pastor Tim Sridharan, whom you just saw a moment ago, led us into Luke 9, verses 37 through 43, where nine of the disciples of Jesus were unable to effectively participate in the deliverance of a young boy with an evil spirit after they had participated in a similar ministry of Jesus only a short time before. Instead of placing us as judges over the disciples because of their failure, Tim Schuderen did something that has not left me since. He invited us to look honestly at ourselves. He invited us to see how we who call ourselves disciples of Jesus stumble often and fall. He also shared this from his own life as well. As Tim spoke, he said, quote, we need to know who Jesus is in order to trust him more and more. He then invited us at the end to hear Jesus say to us personally, come to me, lean into me, trust in me. If you are not here, I encourage you to listen to this podcast. As Tim Schuderen spoke, I was journaling both what he said and what the Spirit of God was causing me to hear about myself. The Spirit brought to my mind a passage in John 16, 8 through 11, a passage that speaks of how the Holy Spirit works in the world today, in both Christians and those of us who are not Christians. 
the passage reads, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove to the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. This is Jesus speaking. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will see me no more, see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Said another way, the Holy Spirit works in the world today to prove to people, including us, including me, our sin in regard to unbelief about Jesus. He also works to prove to us that there is a righteousness from God provided through Christ's sacrifice and to prove to us that through his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ has triumphed over Satan. As Tim has spoke about the inability of the first disciples of Jesus to, pro to properly combat Satan's influence, I ask the Spirit of God to show me areas of my life where I do not fully believe and do not fully participate in Christ's triumph over Satan. I ask that Jesus might equip and empower me to be more attentive to the works of Satan and stand more fully in Christ's triumph. I've shared with some of you how Jesus is doing so in my life, including in my sleep. I remind you of where Tim Schuderen brought us last week because the passage that I was assigned to lead us into this morning continues these same thoughts. Luke 9, 43 through 50. Therefore, I would like to lead you into this passage under the title, The Ups and Downs of Discipleship, Part 2. Specifically, I want to look at what Luke, recounting the story of Jesus in the passage this morning, says about three areas where Jesus, by his Spirit working in us, enables us to know Jesus more so we can trust him more and more. The first area is in our understanding of Christ's death. The second area is in our application of Christ's death to our pride. And the third area is our application of Christ's death to our prejudice. Follow along with me as I read with you Luke 9, 43 through 50, which you can also found, find on page 842 in the Pew Bible. We read, while everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask Jesus about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child 
and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you. It is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. For whoever is not against you is for you. Thanks be to God for the glory of his word. I want to begin by looking with you at how Jesus works to deepen our understanding of his death. As we look more closely at the passage, we see that everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did. They saw what Jesus did as awesome. They had just seen Jesus deliver a boy of an evil spirit that left them, quote, amazed at the greatness of God, end quote. While the crowds were caught up in the wow, the wow of what they understood of God's great work, Jesus takes the disciples aside so that they might understand his deeper work. Jesus takes the disciples aside privately saying, listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The word listen carefully means let these words sink into you. Let these words be remembered by you. Let these words change you. Jesus then says to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men just before his transfiguration, which you can read earlier in this chapter, Jesus had told his disciples these similar words in greater detail. He had said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. But in this passage the one we're looking at today. Jesus shares God's purpose for him in contrast to what the crowds have come to expect of Jesus. Jesus wants his disciples to understand the deeper message of why he came. Jesus wants them and us to understand the significance of his death so they and we can trust him more. But the disciples don't understand. In this passage we read, they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. This leads me to say three insights about our own understanding of Christ's death from this passage that might be helpful to us. The first insight we do not understand the full meaning of Christ's death. None of us here understand the full meaning of Christ's death. 
Second insight. Unless the Spirit of God gives us understanding, we cannot understand the full meaning of his death. And the third insight. We should not be afraid to ask Jesus. We should not be afraid to ask Jesus that we might understand the meaning of his death more. They did not understand what this meant. The scripture is full of multiple exclamation, explanations to help us understand the significance of Christ's death and resurrection for our lives, for the world, for the cosmos. A never-ending library of books has been written in multiple languages to help Christians understand the full meaning of Christ's death. Many such books are written to convince those who are not Christians. More and more are written to address the unique questions of people coming from different worldviews. But the disciples did not understand. As we look at the ups and downs of our own disciples, I have found it so helpful as I interact with Scripture and seek to follow Jesus to admit that I, too, do not understand the full meaning of Christ's death. There is so much more to understand about Christ's death. But this leads to the second insight. We need the Holy Spirit to give us understanding. In John 3, Jesus says to a religious leader who wants to understand, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. The Holy Spirit gives understanding. Without this work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we will not understand the meaning of his death. In John 16, which I mentioned earlier, Jesus says that one of the works of the Holy Spirit is to prove to us the righteousness given us as a gift of grace through Christ's death. We see later in the Gospel of Luke that the Spirit of God gives his disciples a deeper understanding of his death. After his resurrection, Jesus appears to these same disciples. While eating some fish with them, he says to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then it says, Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. This leads to a third insight related to understanding Christ's death. The first, to be honest about your own lack of understanding of Christ's death. The second, your awareness that each of us needs the Holy Spirit to bring understanding of Christ's death. But the third insight from this passage, that we should not be afraid to ask for the Spirit's understanding of Christ's death. The disciples were afraid to ask. We read, they were afraid to ask Jesus about it. While there are many suggested reasons for their fear, fear we do not need to be afraid to ask. 
Let me give two examples of such, one from, both from Scripture and both practical for our lives. In Ephesians, verses 3 through 14, we read of all the blessings that a believer has in Christ Jesus. And that list of blessings ends with the phrase, when you believed, you were marked in Jesus with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So every Christian has received the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. But then Paul continues in verses 15 through 22 with a prayer that includes these words. I keep asking, I keep asking, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He's already said that the believer has the Holy Spirit, but his prayer is that that work of the Spirit within you would, would grow and your understanding by the Spirit would grow. And then he says, grow, grow in these ways so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you were called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in, the, in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. We do not need to be afraid to ask Oh, expand our capacity to know you. Deepen our understanding of this inheritance. Grow our delight in the riches of your grace. Help us to understand this great power of yours in us who believe. A second example of this comes from our journey as a church with the Mahabit Church. As some of you know, we have been leading this group of seekers and new Christians into Romans 1 through 8 and chapter 12. The last few weeks, we've gotten into Romans 6 and 7. And I recall so well when I was in university, invited to memorize Romans 6 through 8 as foundational for my life in Christ. And I remember at that time so well being afraid that I did not understand what it was saying. And yet those who mentored me said, what you're reading in these passages, that you've died with Christ, you've been raised with Christ, so therefore you should count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God, is true of you, even if you don't understand it. And they said to me at that time, begin to pray that the Spirit of God will give you understanding of who you are in Christ. It's now 40 years later, and I'm still praying that the Spirit of God would give me understanding of who I am in Christ. Jesus is working to grow our understanding of his death. Think not you know much 
of all the riches there is to know. Ask the Holy Spirit to expand your capacity to understand. And don't be afraid to ask. But there's another area where Jesus enables us to know him more and more so we can trust him more. By his Spirit, Jesus empowers us to apply our understanding of his death to our pride. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. We are not sure what caused the argument, but each of us understands this human tendency. Each of us also understands some of the reasons for such pride. For the disciples, why this pride? Was it their recent success in ministry? Was it awakened by the special experience that Peter, James, and John had on the mountain with Jesus that the others had not been invited to? Was it fueled by attempts to cast blame for their recent failure in helping this young boy? I told you we should have done it this way. Well, we don't know exactly why this pride rose up. We know well this pride in ourselves. In this passage, it is my firm belief that this pride is one of the signs that points to our lack of understanding of Christ's death. It is also a great opportunity to apply Christ's death to our daily lives. This pride mentioned is not simply, I'm better than you. It is darker than that. It is the desire to be the greatest. <laughs> now and in the future, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. And let me declare something very clear so that we might all be set free from this folly. This position of greatest has already been given. This position of the greatest has already been given to Jesus Christ. In Philippians 2, we read, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross." Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This position of the greatest 
has been given to Jesus Christ forever. John, the disciple of Jesus who struggled with these things, mentioned in Revelation, a revelation given to him, these words. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive glory and power and honor and wealth and wisdom and strength and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Jesus knows when the sin of wanting to be the greatest rises up in us. God knew the sin when it rose up in Adam and Eve. In this passage we read, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, such pride is easy to see. In response to their sin of pride, Jesus takes a little child, one who could stand, and has this child, considered by society at the time to be the least, to stand next to him. He then says words that can help us deal with our pride through Christ's death. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. Now, note carefully the flow here. Whoever welcomes such a child, consider the least in society, welcomes Jesus, the greatest. Whoever welcomes Jesus, the greatest, welcomes the Father who had sent Jesus And the one who is least among you is the greatest. Now, it is easy, so easy to unpack this passage if we only stay with this passage and not try to bring in all the other passages where Jesus has a lot more to say about this topic. But while it's easy to unpack this passage, it can only be applied by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying simply in this passage that those society considers least are greatest. In other words, quit exalting yourselves and your illusions of your own greatness. Quit competing to be the greatest competing for your children to be the greatest. Instead, give your life to welcoming others. Welcome, welcome, welcome others. Give your life to those society considers least. Whenever I start to think about my own significance, whether it's illusions of greatness or feelings of insignificance. The antidote is 
always for me to come away with Jesus, repent of my ugly sin, and get back to welcoming others, especially those society ignores, especially those that can be ignored in a church community like First Alliance Church. Now, this application of Christ's death to our pride can be as simple to do, empowered by the Holy Spirit, as talking to the person next to you instead of thinking about who's going to talk to me. It's sitting by someone who is alone, even if it means moving your seat. It, in, it might involve volunteering in the children's ministry, moving beyond your friendship circle after a service, responding to that nudge by the Spirit to send that card or make that phone call or initiate that vis visit, getting to know your neighbors in your hall, in your building, in your neighborhood. Maybe paying attention to someone lower than you on the totem pole of work who's struggling rather than looking upward, wanting the approval of those above you. It may be praying for the concerns of others, even in your workplace and school, besides those closest to you. On Friday, I saw a man named Gerald Hogenberg as part of a meeting focused on welcoming the 400,000-plus Iranians, many of them Muslims, to Jesus in Greater Toronto. He was the Silk Road director for the Christian and Missionary Alliance for many years. At age 61, now three years ago, he stepped down early from his role to turn over his role and ministry to the next generation of leaders he believed were ready. Now he, with his wife, spend time encouraging churches throughout Eastern Canada. But as we talked yesterday, and others of you have heard him share this, so I can share it here, he, he shared his excitement about he and his wife are welcoming those at a local community center that they go to into their home. He shared with excitement that this December, after doing this for a few years, they expect over 100 people from their community center to respond to their invitation to come to a party at their home an invitation he had only sent out three days ago, and already 38 have said, we can't wait to come. And these are not Christians. These are just people, part of the community center. They have chosen not to think about their significance or lament their insignificance, but to be welcoming, welcoming, welcoming those that God has brought into their lives. For those of you that know Gerald, you know that he often speaks of his desire, quote, to live to be forgotten, that Christ might be remembered. On Friday, I asked him, Gerald, where did you first learn this phrase? He said, Dixon Edward Host, the person who replaced Hudson Taylor with China Inland Mission. For 35 years, he said this often. To live to be forgotten, that Christ might be remembered. By living that only Jesus is the greatest, we can be freed to serve those Jesus brings into our lives and be welcoming. What freedom, what joy, what a way to apply our understanding 
of Christ's death. But Jesus is not finished with his disciples in this passage. Jesus also wants those who follow him to apply their growing understanding, our growing understanding of his death, to our prejudices. Master, John, the brother of James, said, the same John who I mentioned from the book of Revelation, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. These words of Jesus help us to apply our understanding of his death to our prejudices. In Luke 19, Jesus says about himself, for the Son of Man came to seek, to seek and save the lost. Jesus died to save the lost. We are only one of the many he came to seek and to save. He desires that all of us who embrace him participate in his ministry. In Acts 1, we see this clearly. Therefore, just before his resurrection, just after his resurrection, he says to his disciples, it is not for you, or just, I'm sorry, just before his ascension, he says to his disciples, it is not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you, 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 you will be my witnesses. You will bear witness to what you know of my death. You will bear witness to your understanding of my resurrection. The, this promise is not for a select few Christians, the special ones, the anointed ones. The promise of Jesus is a promise for all who believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit in you leads you to understand the death of Jesus more and more. He then leads you to apply your growing understanding of his death to your pride so you seek to exalt Jesus only. He then brings people into your life for you to welcome into your life. And then through these relationships, slowly they see your life bearing witness to Christ in you. He then leads you to celebrate this work of the Spirit and others who are growing in their understanding of Christ's death, not competing with them, not thinking you're better than them, not trying to stop them, but joining with them in Christ's mission of seeking and saving others. When we think we have a special place in this mission of Jesus, we show that we do not understand his death. When we think our church has a special place in his mission over against other churches, we are foolish and don't understand Christ's death. There is one body, one flock, one church, one Lord, one God and Father of us all. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. You are only one of them. He empowers us to participate in his mission together. Last week, Pastor Tim S. said, we need to know who Jesus is in order to trust him more and more. He then invited us to hear Jesus say to each of us, come to me, lean into me, trust in me. In this passage today, Jesus is showing us by the Holy Spirit 
how he grows our understanding of Christ's death. He applies our understanding of his death to our pride and to our prejudice. As we learn from Jesus, we and his disciples are slowly understanding what Jesus really means when he said only a short time earlier in Luke 9, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What a joy to follow Jesus into an understanding of his death. What a joy to live to be forgotten that Christ might be remembered. Let us join him in this glorious day. Let's worship.